Hi guys, I'm Brad Montgomery and welcome to The Breakdown. And here we talk about science, psychology, and investing. Today we're talking about the International Boundary and Water Commission and exactly what it is. Before we get started, if you missed us, you can always catch any of our episodes by going to kfoxtv.com. Now let's break it down. We have a viewer question. Yes, we do, Brad. So this is from Richard, a loyal viewer. And he wants to know uh, what the International Boundary and Water Commission is responsible for and how they contributed to the history of this area. All right, that's a very good question. And I'm with Mark Howe, International Boundary and Water Commission, cultural resource specialist. And how have they contributed, Mark? Well, the commission's been around uh, in various parts since after the Mexican-American War of 1848. So basically, there was joint commissions up until 1889 when we actually became a formal commission with our counterpart in Mexico known as CELA. Okay. Um, my Spanish is not all that great, it's Commission Internacional de Limites y Aguas Entre Mexico y Estudios Unidos. I probably messed that up, my apologies. That's basically their side of the same. Right, same organization but our counterpart that we work in tandem with with all the issues and we deal with everything from sanitation on the border, the international monuments, uh, the 1906 water treaty for water going down to Mexico, and uh, our most prominent aspect is flood control. Okay. So the levees you see, those are what we work with from all the way from in New Mexico, which people don't realize we have, all the way from Caballo Dam, uh, Caballo Dam, all the way south to here to um, canalization ends it at uh, El Paso, okay. it's the New Deal projects, and then all the way down to Gulf of Mexico where we have lots of levees down there for flood control measures. And let me ask you this because, you know, we, we hear, and this is really gonna get interesting because we hear about the International Water Boundary Commission from time to time and they've just kind of peppered around here and there. How closely, you know, you talk about the water resources and the dams, how closely do you work with the states of New Mexico and Texas? Because do, do they not have some control over water release as well? Right. Um, what they do is we actually have a division within our agency. Okay. If you go to our website, um, ibwc.gov, you can actually see little aspects that show who our different agency parts are. I'm in the environmental management division. Okay. So we do a lot within uh, NEPA, environmental history. I do archaeology and history. And we have a water accounting division that works closely with the states on, on the water issues of who gets allotments. And remember, yes. we also have the Colorado River we work with too. That's right. California, Arizona. Right. Okay. So so that's, and, and it's, so it's, and let me ask you this because this this is one of the things that's, that's interesting. You mentioned, you know, the, the river itself and water allotment. The river, which is the border, essentially now it's obviously not the hard and fast border. It's been delineated out. Mm -hmm. Okay. The, the, the deepest part of the channel. That's that. From the okay. treaty. What do you do when and if and when that can change. You know, sometimes you see the old Oxbow Lakes and, and you know, and where the old river used to be, and sometimes after a flood, it can meander a different way. It does, good question. Uh, what happens is we had, um, in the early 1900s, when they first put the river, because it's a meandering river, and then what we did was we rectified it uh, south of here and the canalization through New Mexico. So, um, and I can go on these projects later. They're New Deal projects from the 1930s. Okay. 
But what happens is in areas where it does change, we have to work with Mexico to get the boundary back to where it was. But everybody knows the delineation where it is. So if you go down to Presidio, Texas, mm -hmm. there's a railroad bridge down there, and you'll you'll be down the river channel. The river's way over here. It's got to be moved back over here. But there's a borderline that says this is the border. So when you're actually out there and I'm with people, I say, hey, guess what? We're in Mexico. And they say, but isn't the river? River moved. Like, no, it moved. Yeah. <laughs> we're we're the, the border for uh, legal issues is right here. Right. So we're actually in Mexico. That's super interesting. And do you, do you guys just kind of leave it at that or do you try to get no, the river back on course? We to try where? to get it back on you course. That's right. interesting. We I have, didn't know that at all. Yep, we have a lot of equipment stuff down there. Um, if you go down to Presidio, Texas, we have our um, Presidio field office down there. We have various offices that take care of different areas of the river or the land boundary areas. Okay. Uh, we go from San Diego, San Diego all the way to the Gulf of Mexico. So it's a huge area we cover. And down there we have the Mercedes office in uh, Mercedes, Texas. So you try to get that channel back. Mm -hmm. That's really, okay, I had no idea. Okay. Now, now exactly, so what is the International Boundary Water Commission? Kind of the short answer if you were to explain it. You know, you're involved with Mexico, you're involved with the border, kind of the overbroad kind of umbrella. What things are you all have your fingers in? What things do you guys have your fingers in? Well, a lot of times, I always tell people, look at our website. Okay. Because there's a lot. <laughs> there, there's a lot. We, like lately, we, we will be dealing dealing with sanitation issues along the borderlands okay. with Mexico. How does that work? What is it? Um, okay, here's an example is in Nogales, Arizona, we have, uh, in Nogales, the river flows north uh, into out of the Mexico US. Into, okay. Right. So um, we have what's called the International Outfall Interceptor. And that actually, the water goes under the, um, river underneath the border and then comes into and we have a treatment plant at Rio Rico, Arizona that we treat the, um, all that for Nogales, Arizona and Nogales, Mexico. Mm -hmm. And uh, right now we're repairing that because it's over 50 some years of age and it's, it's old. Right. And so we're treating that same with Tijuana where we have the treatment plant because the Tijuana River flows north, north into the U.S. Yep. And so we have a large treatment plant there that we treat a lot of the water that's going on there and we're actually expanding that. So that was put in back in the 1990s. And I've worked out there on some stuff because uh, there's a lot of archeology span out there right. that I have to work to look at. And we have levees along that area too. So, and, and so you go from sanitation to the other things? Um, sanitation, uh, we also have a water accounting division that works with um, the various states for water uh, to go to the different states. Uh, right now we had, um, not recently, but we had a minute signed for the sanitation plant in, I think it was Mont uh, minute number 326, which was signed by our commissioner and the commissioner from Mexico for um, the sanitation project. But before that, we had ones for the minutes for water deliveries to Tijuana okay. for that. And then we also have other emergency measures. So we work in tandem with Mexico because we all live in this region. So we have to work together. And then I can't, I can't not ask you about the Colorado, you know, because it's, it's, it's so complicated. It's so low, which makes it more complicated. How much goes to California? How much goes to Arizona? How much is left to go to Mexico if? And that, is a good question, but it's not something I've been dealing with myself because okay. I deal a lot with the cultural and the historical stuff. Okay. But that is actually covered in some of our minutes. What minutes are, they're um, like agreements to the actual treaties where we can implement actions we have to do. 
with Mexico. Okay. So that's what that does. And the minutes actually cover that. Okay. So the Colorado with that being low, yes, that's a big factor. And then also we still have water in the river because right. of irrigation season, but then we also have issues with that. But the main thing we're dealing, dealing with here is not only the water deliveries to go to Mexico under the 1906 treaty, Fort um, Juarez, but also the flood control measures. You see the levees ac across um, down the city and stuff along the banks there. And that's that's really interesting because you know when we talk about the water issues here locally, even uh, as far as the Rio Grande Basin, Rio Grande Valley, we don't really think of Juarez. We don't think you know we think of Albuquerque, we think of El Paso, we think of Del Rio. We don't we think of Brownsville, uh, Matamoros. We don't think of Juarez and in Piedras Negras and the cities on the other side. So what is that 1904 treaty kind of? How does how does it kind of divvy up the water? Divvy out the water? Well, I have some notes here. Um, I think I put that down on that one. The 1906 the treaty. 1906 treaty. Right. What that does is when that was formed, of course. 1906, over 115 years ago, mm -hmm. and this was a small community at that time. Right. So was Juarez. Juarez right. was a little bit bigger. Of course, it's quite a lot bigger. But since water was coming down, the treaty basically allocated how much water was worked out between the two commissions would go to Juarez. Okay. Well, they only had a certain amount of cubic acre feet. Well, on the treaties, you can. They can work it out so they can have, if it's a good year, they can have a plus. Okay. And if it's a bad year, they can, you know, it, it's it's a bookkeeping thing. They can do like, okay, you're going to get this much this year, but we can bank this much for, for later Oh, years. you can. You kind of save a little. They, okay. can, they can do stuff like that under the treaties. And so they do that. And so you'll see that. If you go to the webpage, you'll, you'll see a lot of information. Like recently, um, I was supposed to go down after this, drive down to Falcon Reservoir south of Laredo to go do some archaeology because... We have low water in Falcon Reservoir. And the problem is we're having, um, uh, when the place is down by Zapata, the line they had to go to the river or Falcon Lake was gonna dry up. Mm. But now, as happened last time when I went down there, every time I go down there, it rains. And so they're all happy to say, well, well just come down more often because you bring this water. rain. <laughs> and last week it was gonna be hot. Okay, I'm going down. And this large tropical depression moved in, and now um, flood watch this yeah, morning. So I can't, had to cancel everything because I can't get out to do the archaeology because it's mud. Right, <laughs> so, right. but that's we we that's a flood control reservoir too. That's from the 1944 Water Treaty. That also changed our name from International Boundary Commission from the 1889 to the International water. Boundary and Water Commission. Interesting. Okay, and how much? What, what do you do as far as like how, how involved are you in areas around the the lower Rio Grande Valley as far as uh, McAllen, Brownsville? I mean, is that where you tend to have more boundary issues because it's flatter? That kind of almost that riverbed kind of pans out there, and you kind of the river meanders a little more. Is it getting more complicated down through there? No, actually, it's quite stable. Okay, and the reason is because of the levees we have on both sides. Ah, uh, okay. So okay. basically, it's um, it's been aligned, so it works out really well. So we do have. I think it was Hurricane Beulah back in the 1960s. When that hurricane came through, you got a lot of flooding. Mm -hmm. So we had to do something to alleviate all the water going down there. It's like a bathtub. You can only put so much in before it overflows. Mm -hmm. So that's the levees. Between that, you can have only so many cubic acre feet of water. So we have several dams down that area that actually will divert the water into Mexico and then also in the U.S. down the Royal Colorado to the uh, Caribbean. So for flood control, it kind of helped you guys out. 
and kind of stabilized it. Right. Well, and so we have that. And then back in the early 1900s, uh, when the river was, you know, before Falcon came in, in Amistad Reservoir, which is from the 1960s up by Del Rio, both flood control and uh, recreation, um, you had a lot of water coming down like here before Elephant Butte went right. in. It could just go. And, right. It just yeah. decimated this area. And with that, we now can control the river where it is going, um, how much water we try to, you know, send off in that to alleviate the flood conditions. Mm -hmm. And lately, over time, like anything else, you get sediment buildup. Mm -hmm. And a good example is if you want to see what, what one season of sediment buildup is on the river during flood season, go up to Mesilla Dam up here, just south of Las Cruces. Mm -hmm. It's not our dam, but that one will have anywhere... I mean, the water or the dirt when flood season's over, the amount of silt that's in front of that is huge. Huge amount of silt just coming down the river from... And that displaces and makes for less water to be able Right, to and that's why in the future we have to be doing some dredging activity down there in the arroyos so we can actually increase that water amount that it can hold. Otherwise, it's going to overflow the levees. Is that a big issue on some of the larger ones as well as like Falcon Lake or some of the larger ones? Does it slow down enough to where it kind of deposits it upstream? Or? Falcon Lake was put in the 1950s, so in the future it's probably going to need it's something gonna like that. It's going to need some right. So it's going to need that just the natural um, overall levels of erosion that you have in, in an area of Falcon itself and Zapata and what's coming down the river. Now, I want to talk about some some of the things that, that you have been involved in that people definitely have heard of, but may not necessarily know you were involved in, in them. One, the Chamizal uh, in 1963. That was kind of an interesting thing that happened where, you know, part of the U.S. ended up being actually right. and in well, Mexico. What's funny is I was just at the Chamizal this weekend. Uh, my friend Mark Calamia, he's my, my, my counterpart with the Park Service down there, and Mark does um, cultural resources also. And he called me up because they're going to be putting in, um, I think it's the Benito Juarez monument coming up pretty soon. Okay. And so we actually have one of our monuments that is down there, and he was wondering how can we move this and stuff, because mm -hmm. they're really heavy, they're cast iron, they were made in the late 1800s, early 1900s. If you go down by the Aztec Will, you will, and uh, by, uh, I think it's McMurtry Street, um, down by the county courthouse, you'll see where it comes around often to Stanton, you'll see a, a monument there. Same kind of monument you see down here um, over by American Dam on the top of the hill off Paisano. You'll okay. see this white monument up there, and people have no clue what it is. Right. That's Mo International Boundary Monument Number 2 and that delineates the border. Okay. But one of our commissioners uh, back in the 1800s, uh, early 1900s, Anson Mills. Sound familiar? Mills Avenue. Mills Avenue. Uh, Anson 11, the Mills oh, building downtown. Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. Um, he looks, he had, he had his goatee, he looks like Colonel Sanders, okay? So <laughs> he, he looks like him, but he actually platted El Paso back in the 1800s. Okay. And so he became a commissioner back during the, um, uh, late, I think early 1900s, and um, he was responsible for a lot of work on stuff, but what he did was he had a monument to his brother and several others who were killed um, just north of um, Las Cruces, over to the west from there, uh, leaving El Paso area, and this is just before the Civil War, and they were killed, and he has a monument that he paid for and actually 
had it installed and it was moved a couple places, but it was put down there. And that's exactly the same monuments you would see that you, along the land boundary, west from El Paso all the way to San Diego. There's 258 of them. Wow, so then that's basically the markers. That's yes. Funny. Now let me ask you, so with that, with that being said, how did Chami's all happen? How did... A lot of times, um, Chamazal, um, what I always do is when people ask me, because a lot of people like to write about the beginning of the, the commission, Chamazal and other stuff. And so what I always do is like, oh, have you talked to Chamazal? Because they're the experts on that right. one. But what it was is um, in the book I brought in, um, you'll see this, the Chamazal question as they always call it. Okay. What happened was the river came through El Paso and then it cut up through this area mm -hmm. and it came down. And, and then it shifted again. And so the river now went south. So what you have is in this area is you have this kind of area of the Chamazal. It was part of Mexico, but yet it was isolated from the river. And so what it was is we had to do something. And this was brought up again and again and again. Even uh, in the early 1900s from the book I brought in talking about that, uh, they brought the Chamazal question up again. It was never resolved. It was never resolved until finally in the 19, late 50s, 60s, they, they took care of the problem. And so if you look at um, maps and pictures from the early 1960s, you're gonna notice that the river went south, okay? So if you go down to the Chihuahuita neighborhood and you'll notice you're looking south, the river actually cuts down into Mexico. So if you go into Mexico, you can see the soccer fields and stuff. Mm -hmm. That used to be, all that area north of that used to be the US. Mm -hmm. So the Chamazal changed all that because Mexico, they had to trade amount of land um, equally now it was so it was a trade it wasn't just a, a, a secession of land it was actually a trade out well they they had the land and each one had to have a, a, a equal amount oh so that just basically changed the board right that's, and so okay, got that's it. like uh, 1904 i believe was the banco treaty okay. when the river shifted and stuff and then it shifted again land that was in mexico is now the u.s and so forth so the banco treaty said okay we need to fix this to get this back so we have to swap the land or something like that right and same thing happened with rectification. Rectification is, from where the Chamazal is, rectification occurred in the 1930s okay. to bring the river from this to a straight thing that goes all the way from uh, Cordoba Island, which is part of the Chamazal, okay. all the way down to Little Box Canyon in Hudspeth County. So that fixed it basically all the way down. Made it right, put, put the levees in and fixed it and straightened it out. And some of the pictures I have from the early 1920s show this. Uh, before that, and it's interesting because when I have to go out there to do some archaeology, I'm looking at the picture and saying, okay, this house, oh, that's in Mexico now. That used yep. to be part of the that's U.S. That's what's crazy. That's amazing. That's just amazing. And so I guess those residents were just, I guess, rehoused. Right. Yeah. right. So. And, and so now this area I would look at, I could see the houses and farm fields. I get out there, and it's a, it's a field. But I can go out there, and archaeologically, I still see the artifacts and stuff from when they plowed up, wow. even today. That's super interesting. And that is that one of the more, I guess, interesting things that's happened on the border over the past 150 years or so? Or have there been equally interesting things that we don't, just don't know about? Um, okay. Well, I, I'd be looking at staff out here and saying questions like, um, New Deal projects. What do you know about New Deal projects along the border? Not much. What's the New Deal? That was FDR, wasn't it? Correct. 1930s brought us out of the Depression, just before World War II. So what part of our stuff, under the National Industrial Recovery Act in 1930s, probably 1933, um, 
I should know this, I wrote my master's thesis on it. But uh, what that did was that put money into getting people to work, getting okay. projects to, because all these minutes we had, we had everything in the minutes, which, you know, are agreements mm -hmm. to get this stuff done, like fix the problem with the river in this area, fix the problem down there. So a lot of the New Deal money was for this stuff. Right, construction. And so part of it was, um, Canalization, which went from, from Cabajo Dam all the way down here to American Dam. Okay. American Dam is located by the railroad bridges, so if you want to go out and see it, mm. you'll, you'll come off Paisano and you'll see it right there. You see our yard with our sign. And so that's there. So that was constructed from the 1930s up to the early 1940s. Um, and then American Dam and Canal was constructed. Um, down to the Franklin Canal, where it came down by Hart's Mill, but that was for the 1906 treaty to bring water into the U.S. side, and then Mexico would get their allotment. Okay. So that's what that did. But that's a 1930s New Deal project. And then you get down, and it was still the same until you got down to Gordoba Island, of where you had um, the end of the Chambazal now. And then that's where rectification started and went all the way down the river through all the communities down through there and actually brought the river, straightened it out also. So, and, and so let me ask you this. So you talk about the projects, you know, in the 1930s and, you know, and the, and the money that came for these projects to build these dams, not just for the allotment from to Mexico and to the U.S. for the water, but also for flood control as well. Mm -hmm. What was it like through here? I mean, what was it like through here before these dams were here? I mean, how bad was flooding? I mean, you know, it's 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 one of those things you just don't think about. And obviously, El Paso and, and Juarez weren't as big as they are now, but they still were. They were cities here. How bad was it? Um, remember the flood events we had, was last year? We had the large we had a lot of rain. Yeah, right. And then back in two thousand and six. So if it wasn't for the levees, the whole area would have flooded downtown. Wow. Chamazal, you know, what it is that that's taking a lot of water into there. Um, if it wasn't for that, and keeping that water with there as much as possible, we would have a lot of flooding events going on. You go downtown El Paso, you can see some of the buildings down there, you can see high water marks. Uh. Now, one thing I discovered recently was um, some photographs. In a monograph we have um, uh, the September 1st, 1925 flood. Okay. And I found these old negatives, and I've scanned them in, and I'll be talking about this at the San Elizario Historical and Genealogical Conference coming up on September 25th, I believe, okay. down in San Eli. And I gave him a quick speech a couple of weeks ago talking about that, these pictures, and people haven't seen them since the 1920s and even some of the ones from before of putting the monuments in. And also what we have is called reference points. Okay. Reference points, if you go to Socorro Mission, you'll see one there. And what it is in the early 1900s, they put these in for the bancos so they could, you know, figure that out. But they put them on both sides of the river, mm -hmm. Mexico and the U.S., and used trigonometry so when the river moved to figure out where the border still is. Right. But these were about two feet tall, obelisk, and they had a little plaque on them that says IBC and CDL for, for CELA. Mm -hmm. And so they could use them, and they were all numbered. And there's one in the southwest corner of the Socorro Mission. And it's now, this was put in the early 1900s. Okay. And they were about two, two and a half feet tall. And now it's covered up with dirt all the way to the top. Wow. So over that time, just the work they've done down there. But this is stuff to look at how the river has changed and everything else. And it's important because uh, of what's going on. But the 1925 flood event, that actually occurred 
south of Elephant Butte Dam, all this water came in at that time, and it flooded downtown El Paso. And looking at some of the documents, what happened was levees broke. And so there's a lot of flooding, and they had and the commission to map all this of where the levees broke. Went out there and took pictures, amazing pictures I've got of this stuff. I've got one of two gentlemen on the um, the old uh, Black Bridge, which was in the Chamozal area. It was a railroad bridge going across. I haven't figured out who they are. And one gentleman has a bow tie, and I think he's one of our engineers from back then, one of our principal engineers. Because I have another picture of him. It looks like I have with one of our commissioners in San Diego. At the monument out there, and there's nothing there. There's just a fence, and it's you go out there today. It's developed on the south side of Mexico. And it's and the reason I brought that up because I, I just on, on the meteorological side, you know, we know the, the stats as far as you know the flood years, the mm-hmm. amounts, and all this versus average and above and all that. But but just you don't hear about the city flooding. You just don't hear about it. You don't you don't and and. Granted, it was a long, long time ago, but I didn't realize all these dams and levees really helped not just to divert, but actually mitigate a lot of that dam, or a potential flood damage. Right. Um, Chamazal, it's a deep channel now. And um, we go down there, I go down there with our um, with Leslie or in our my division, and we go down and we look at water sampling for the Texas Clean Rivers Project. Okay. They, they work, so we're looking at um, different aspects of biological samples and stuff we take in the river um, and so we do sampling along certain points along the river and when we're down there um, it's pretty amazing just looking at the stuff down there and how this is now remember Chamazal was 1960s right so if you go down there under um, if you're going over the new bridge um, the bypass oh uh, I'm sorry the I'm blanking on the bridge name with the Americas? No, uh, the bridge, the border highway. Oh, border highway. Yeah, Over the yeah, border yeah, highway, yeah. as you're downtown, you're looking down, you can see the river. Well, just don't do it when you're driving, right. you know. <laughs> but if you're a passenger, look yeah. down there, you can see the river. It's just between the two levees. It's still pretty tame until right. it hits down by Chihuahuita where it actually is cemented in. So the 1960s, they put a coffer dam there, blocked it, and they cemented that whole area in all the way down for about six miles. I've noticed that, and so that keeps it nice and... Nice, it keeps the river... Where it needs to be. Where it needs to be. And the border's right there in the center. And so the Treaty of February 3rd, 1944. The Water Treaty. And that, that has to do more with the Colorado and the Tijuana side, is that correct? Both. Okay. Right. It's the so, Water Treaty that delineates... Oh yeah, Colorado and then Tijuana's water issues. Right. And what, else. what are Tijuana's water issues? Since that river flows north, I just want to touch on this briefly. It's one that flows like the Nogales one that flows from Mexico into the U.S. A lot of people don't realize, but you've got rivers that do that too. Right. On the Tijuana one, how how are they how are they worked out? You know, do you guys basically tell Mexico, hey, you know, let us end up with this much on the back end. You guys use this much, and how has it changed with the growth of Tijuana and San Diego? Because oh. Nogales, they you know they haven't really grown as much as oh, Tijuana. but they're growing. They're growing they, too. Down south. On the south side. Okay, right. south of the border. Okay. Um, as you know, you have a three-inch pipe, okay. but yet you're trying to shove 20, 20 inches of water in the pipe into that. It's going to back up. Right. And so working with them is what we have is their infrastructure that comes down, and it's a, it's a combined stormwater and wastewater system. Well, it comes down through a one-meter pipe that comes down into our... Inter- South Bay International Wastewater Treatment oh, it Plant. goes right in it. Right, goes okay. right to the plant, okay. and that's where we clean all that, then that goes out and in, into the ocean. Okay, okay. But in the wintertime when you have... Big storms. Right, <laughs> not everything gets in there, and so that's going to come down to the river. Okay. 
And so then also the Tijuana plant, um, I think it's called uh, Punta Banderas, uh, Point Banderas is gonna be shutting down. And so that's why we're trying to look to work on this stuff to help alleviate the pollution problem from Tijuana. Because if we don't do something, it's gonna go right into the ocean. Right, beach closures and stuff on that. Interesting, okay. Now the, uh, the treaty of November 23rd, 1970, resolved all uh, basically pending boundary differences. So was that the one that said, okay, let's look at whatever else we've got that's not really adding up or that needs to be taken care of and just iron the rest of them out? Is that kind of what that 1970 treaty did? Basically, yes. Okay, okay. I I, I don't, um, since I do a lot with archeology span and histories, I tell everybody, hey, I'm doing with stuff 50 years of age or, or older. So I look at that and now guess what, it's, 50 years of age <laughs> so I have to work now more with some of the issues on that because in archaeology you have section 106 section 106 is where we have to do preservation or mitigation on archaeological sites or um, stuff that are actually historic like you go downtown the Anson Mills monument right. the belt Anson Mills building you go down Chamazal is now historic because right. that's over 50 years of age um, the border monuments, 1890s. Mm. Basically, a lot of the stuff, the New Deal projects, those are all over 80 years of age. Right. Yeah. So I, I do a lot of that historic. stuff. Right. That's really interesting. Now, you mentioned your website. Uh, where can people go? Not just where can they go, because obviously your website is kind of a, an, an end-all, be-all as far as getting the information. When people go to find out more about the International Boundary Water Commission, because, it, and again, it's peppered through our newscast from time to time. You'll hear about it here, and then you'll see a marker here, and then you have your name on it. But but people don't really know what it is. So when they go to the website, what can they find? What can they learn? Well, what will happen is um, hopefully you, you have a, a picture of our emblem that will show up. Okay. So you go to www.ibwc.gov, and it will pop up with our emblem. And if you click the U.S. flag, you can go to the U.S. section, or if you click the Mexican flag, you will go into the Mexican section, nice. and that's in Spanish. And what that has, it talks about the history of the organization, what we do, our commissioners, our different divisions, what all we do with like water accounting, environmental management, engineering, our field offices, flood control projects, the dams. It's got a whole bunch of stuff you can look at, but also the really cool thing is it has all the commissioners. And these are the people of history that people don't realize, like Anson Mills, John Fremont, uh, Emery from the early, these so are people. All the way back to your start. All the way back to the start wow. after the Mexican-American War of 1848. That's awesome. And it goes up to today. And we just, uh, we have our second female commissioner, Commissioner um, Heiner. She's now, um, she was appointed a couple a year ago. And before her was Jane Harkins, and she was our first female commissioner. And now Mexico has a female commissioner also. Nice. Well, that's good. That's actually a good kind of cultural tie there. Right. Especially for the borderline. A lot of people don't even know about. Well, thank you very much, Mark Howe, Cultural Resource Specialist, International Boundary Water Commission. It was great to have you on. Learned a lot about what you guys do. And so now when I hear the name, I'll know a lot more. And, you know, if if you're interested, come on down. I'll give you a tour over towards uh, American Dam to see the monuments. I'll see Monument One, yeah. uh, the New Deal projects, and other things we have down yeah, there. I'll definitely do that because I do that whole area has been mysterious to me. And so mis- I, I am looking and I never know what I'm, yeah, exactly what I'm seeing and right. where boundaries are. So. It's just like when I walked in asking people if they ever heard of us and they all grew up in El Paso. I'm like, no, it's like the Monument One. Have you heard of Monument One? Do you know about that monument on the hill that you see up there when you're going down Paisano? 
No. <laughs> it, it, it's just, it's amazing. It's, it's a lot of history and very dynamic and it's ever changing. That's awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you again. Thank you very much.